Hello and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast. My name's Dan Martin. I'm going to be your host today. I'm sat with TMP graduate, Simon Dutton. Simon, great to see you after so many months of seeing each other digitally, electronically. <laughs> You're the second person today, second one of my clients who I've seen face to face, which is an honor. So thank you for joining us today. It's great to see you. Feels weird thinking of myself as a graduate now. Like <laughs> it, it I said this to you on the last the last like proper call that we did. Like when you look at things that help you with cancer like mental performance, let's let's throw the branding in there right away. You 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 think of like therapy related things and you think of like this massive transformational process, which it is. But if you think of like things like affirmations and meditation, which might take you years and years and years to get any real benefit. And then I would say therapy's like on the slightly towards that side. And then you've got like your ayahuasca's, which will change you overnight. And it's one of those things where you don't realize how far you've come until you do that last call. I was like, it almost feels in a way that these calls I've done with you have been part of my life for a lot longer than they actually have been. So it feels weird coming, to, you know, to be a graduate now. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's good. I, I, I said to you just before we, we click record, it's, you know, I've, I've just moved back, as, as you know, from, from Hong Kong. And the fitness industry in, in the UK is second to none. Mm. Like there is, there's so many people that are within, well, in my case today, four hours worth of traveling. But like, it, it's amazing how many people that I've met in the last two weeks I've never really met in person but feel like I have a close connection with. Yeah. And all of them are more jacked than I thought they were. <laughs> I have come back feeling so much smaller. It's because you only see them from, uh, <laughs> exactly, from the neck up. Exactly. I'm around, I'm around tiny people in Hong Kong and I come back and everyone from the shoulder up don't look as jacked. You yeah. know? I started working with a, a, another guy that you work with called Kian and he sent over his initial progress photos to me. And I was like, man, he doesn't look anywhere near this jacked. And sends over a progress like he's wide. I'm like, I need to get in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Hong Kong there. I think that'd be a really interesting place to start because you spent a number of years in Hong Kong. How long were you there in total? Uh, four. Four years. Four years. Yeah. Four years. If you were to throw a word at me in terms of how it felt to live in Hong Kong, what that word be? Crazy. Great word. Um, and, and crazy in all sorts of ways. Like me and my partner, me and my wife now, um, didn't time it too well. So we came over in 2019 straight into the protests that sort of blended into the pandemic. And Hong Kong, I suppose I can, I can, I can say my thoughts there now that I'm out of the country, but um, it's one of those places where we didn't actually get the pandemic as bad as elsewhere. But the reactions of it and the panic, especially after... Um, you know, SARS uh, in 2003, I think it was, just terrified everybody. So we had restrictions up until the back end of this year. You know, we had really strict quarantine rules where if you went away on holiday, you'd have to do a three-week stay in a hotel and people would follow you around with, when you were, if you came back from holiday, with like brooms and wiping things behind you and everything like this. So it was crazy in sort of those ways that, that weren't great, but also it's, it's one of those places that is different enough from the UK to be a culture shock but also close enough because of former British rule that it feels familiar. But you could be on an island, on a mountain, on an Asian New York and on the beach all within a 24-hour period. Mm. Um, so I think the lifestyle in Hong Kong, while different to the UK, is something really unique that I don't think you'll get anywhere else. So it's absolutely crazy experience, but definitely one I you know, would 100% do again. Mm. What did you love about it the most? What did you hate about it the most? Um... I think love about it the most, other than the food, um, it's just how much of a social 
close proximity city it is. Like if someone says, do you want to go for a beer? I'll be there in 20 minutes. You know, it's, you could do everything in a very short period of time. The downside is that there was never a real massive amount of real culture in the sense of there's no real history. You don't get comedy gigs or bands. So we've been making it for lost time and go and see as many comedians as we can in the last four weeks. Um, the thing I probably hated about it the most, other than the overreaction to the pandemic, in my opinion, um, the fitness industry is just a little bit further behind the rest of the world. It's getting there. It's, it's definitely a very emerging industry but it's still very much Insta chicks selling booty bands on Instagram. Mm. And because there's a culture there of saving face, no one wants to be wrong. Mm. No one wants to answer questions in case they're wrong. Um, you don't get many people really pushing their education. Mm. And if they do, they do it in private, which makes it very hard for me, who's, who's coming in as a role as an educator. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find out if you're doing a good job and trying to pass off any sort of things that can help them with their industry. And you just get... Nothing. And it, it, it could be a bit of a knock to your confidence because you're like, well, I don't know if this is working. Like, mm. it doesn't seem like people value it. And whether they don't value it or whether they are just don't, are so scared of getting involved, mm. you can't tell. And it makes you, makes you like, doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to the UK, I was working online even since January doing, doing what I do now. You, you realise how much of that was just the culture rather than I wasn't doing a good enough job. Yeah. Because the actions are completely different with people that want to ask questions and are driven and are hungry. Mm-hmm. And as I said, moving back, there was this, the fitness industry in the UK is the best in the world, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There were so many good people doing some great things mm-hmm. from, from, from TMP on the psychology side of things to like people like Ollie Carson, Adam Haley on the business side of things to Paul Standall, um and the muscle men- well, what was muscle mentals now the PT project. Like there's some great uh, people in this industry pushing things forward here, which isn't quite in Hong Kong. But it's, mm. it's getting there. Mm. I mean, there are, where I used to work at Hit PT, fantastic gym in Hong Kong. They are bringing people to Hong Kong to do education. Mm. So hopefully they'll be the forefront of change, but we'll see. Mm. How about environmentally? Because um, a couple of our conversations were centered around you know, the pretty extortionate cost of living in <laughs> Hong Kong, which is going to have an inherent effect on you, perhaps more, more of an unconscious level, but then the actual physical environment itself. When you say crazy... Yeah. Is that crazy in terms of what's going on around you, where you live, where mm. you work? What, what does that mean to you? I think financially, it comes out in the wash. Yeah. Like rent is, is like, to, to put it in perspective, my, my current place is essentially a um, one bedroom office and then a living room. It's £1,600 per month. In Hong Kong, we lived in a very similar size place. It was £2,800 per month. But on the flip side of this, tax is 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can get food super cheap or you can get food super expensive. Depends where you go, whereas mm. it's quite expensive here. So I think it all kind of comes out in the wash. But in terms of craziness, in terms of like the living environment, there's pros and cons of it. Mm. There's something really exciting about living in somewhere that is just so full on. Mm. You know, you, you almost can't get a chance to be lazy life's moving at such a pace that mm-hmm. you just kind of swept up with it and you kind of get caught up in the excitement. But in, in, in other ways, it, it can get quite a, not so much tiring experience, but it's like if you combine that with that feeling of where the fitness industry was at and the sector that I wanted to go in, I felt very much capped mm. and a little bit 
stranded so far from home, needing a visa, which meant that I couldn't go all in on what I want to do. I was doing some great work. And, you know, the, I, again, I can't thank the guys from Hit enough um, for supporting me in, in the step they took. But you almost felt, they felt quite isolating. And then you're, you're 13 hours away from, from, I say family, because I met some of the best friends of my life out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, it's, it, has, it has its pros and cons for sure. Mm. Mm. How about psychologically? What change have you noticed within yourself psychologically as a result of moving from Hong Kong back to the UK? It's an interesting question because it's 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 in a way subtle, like the the comparison I made to to doing therapy. Mm. I remember it was about two years into being in Hong Kong, and I I was just walking down the harbour, looking at like everywhere in Hong Kong is an amazing view, right? Everything is beautiful, and just almost stopping and thinking, man, I'm a different person than I was two years ago. I didn't think about it. Mm. You know, it's 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 a huge. People say to me, very brave. I don't necessarily consider it brave, but huge step moving away from all your friends and family to 13 hours across the world. Mm. And things things just change, but it's hard to put my finger on necessarily what's changed mm. going out there. Um, I think on the whole, I think going to Hong Kong has changed me for the, for the better. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly more independent. I'm certainly more confident in my abilities to start something from scratch because I've had to do it multiple times. Mm. Um, you know, I went through some some of the best and worst things out there from career highs to, to getting fired from a job I was in for seven years, um, which in a way was horrible. It's a, it's a, you know, without saying too much to get myself in trouble, it's, it's a, it, was a, it was a job that I, I, was, I was, wasn't happy in and I wanted to leave. But it still, it still knocks your confidence when, you're, when that decision is made for you. Mm-hmm. And being able to be resilient and it was something I was scared of leaving for a very long time, that place, because it was, you, you created this environment where people, you think people don't succeed outside of it. Mm-hmm. And then when you do, and relatively quickly, you're like, okay, I had nothing to be scared of, mm. which translates into any other thing you do. I've come into this now, moving back. I've not started a gym job because I want to go all in on the mentorship. Mm. I'm less scared of it than I was before I got fired from that last job. Partly because I went, well, I made that work. That was way scarier. If I fail at this, I could pop up to Wolverhampton and go and stay with my parents for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is, there's way less pressure. Mm. So I think that's certainly an element of, of it. Um, and I think the pandemic did a number on everybody. Mm. Um, but I think certainly for me, and it was, again, it's subtle. It's, it's not, we didn't get the full housebound lockdowns. We got smaller lockdowns and like you couldn't go out after 6 p.m. sort of things. And we had mandatory masks like everywhere outside your house. And it was more subtle things that just dragged. But it was, it was more the fear of the nation. People were so terrified of this here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't want to put a tinfoil hat on, on your show and get you cancelled, but I'm, I think it was an overreaction, this pandemic, mm-hmm. for the most part. There were some horrendous things and some tragedies. I'm not taking anything away from that. So when your views are so different mm-hmm. from the views of the nation you're living in, mm. and you see people pressing lift buttons with tissue paper, mm. you know, they're probably outside hugging their friends, picking up money, like, you know, mm. but, like, but the lift button's what's going to kill them. And they're like, what does it matter to me? Someone says, Simon, you're being petty. What does it matter to someone else press a lift button with a tissue? 
But you're surrounded by that. You're surrounded by fear mm-hmm. and paranoia and people not speaking up. And it seeps slowly into your psyche mm. where you're... I can't even put the word in it. I, I don't think I ever felt more anxious, but very felt much, very, much, very, very trapped. Mm. Hong Kong is an incredible place with a lot of variety, a lot of things to do, mm. but it's a small place. Mm. And it's a place where everywhere is Hong Kong. <laughs> Whereas I've come from Guildford this morning. I've gone through London and up to Liverpool. Mm. Three very different places. And that was all before 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You don't really have the same thing. Mm. So it's it's one of those places when, when Hong Kong's firing on all cylinders, it's one of the most exciting places in the world. Mm. I can pop and be in Vietnam, in Thailand, all in the space of an hour and a half to three hours. Mm. Um, as I said before, all things you can do within Hong Kong. But in the middle of a pandemic, it's one of the most isolating places I can imagine being, mm. um, which is tricky. Like mm. I, th- I thrive off... I didn't realize as much as I me moving online is me trying to work for myself and actually take control of my own dive for the first time in my life. Mm. I didn't realize how much I thrived off certain people. Mm-hmm. I've been much more attuned now to not so much people that drain me, but the environments I'm talking to people mm. that fire me up and drain me. Like I've been doing one-to-one PT for 13 years. And in the last couple of years, I, I, I really got to the point where I thought, I need a change. Mm. I felt it wasn't challenging me anymore. Um, and it was, it was just, for me to grow, I needed to take more of my time out of my day to learn new skills. Mm-hmm. I need to, to be able to send an email off an active campaign would take 20 minutes. But learning how to use active campaign might take a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have those couple of days. My life was around other people's diaries first Mm -hmm. i have 20 minutes here 20 minutes there and you're just mentally and physically exhausted Mm -hmm. and a lot of my creative flair is either meeting new people having new experiences or i love educating Mm -hmm. so while you are educating your clients every session the pt session when you have long-term clients you end up with great people inspiring people amazing people but i got to the point after a while like okay i got excited with the client setup i got excited with first couple of sessions but then you're just going, not going through the motions, but you're just, you've taught them to train, they know how to train hard, and you're counting reps. Mm-hmm. And there is a value in that. And I'm not saying at any point for any coachlessness that you shouldn't do gym floor work or that gym floor work is bad. I did it for 13 years. And I tell you what, I'm a much better coach for having done that for 13 years. And I feel too many coaches want the laptop lifestyle on the beach with this imaginary Wi-Fi connection that you get on the beach somehow doing check-ins without actually going through the grunt work but I, I think one of the things for me was I had an online client that came and visited me and we said what was he I says how's your training being I struggled with my squats and we worked on a few options for his squats and I loved that hour and then I went into the same workout that we've done for the last four weeks which they could potentially do on their own now mm. um, and I was at that point where I almost felt felt very trapped of where I was in my career mm-hmm. And I think that was where it came to a head and I reached out to you last year because mm-hmm. I felt very burnt out and very stuck mm. in terms of where is my career going? I felt very lost. Mm. And it also came into that period of time where going into my early 30s and if people listen to this, they probably listen to Chris Williamson and Modern Wisdom, which is my favorite podcast. He talks about something called the manopause where 
everyone wants to be a bodybuilder when they're 21, but then everyone wants to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when they're 31. And I've, I've not done a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class yet, but I'm, I started at under, I always saw that in other people. I'm like, what are all these people doing? I'm going to stay a bodybuilder. And then I got to 31. I'm like, just, I just, I just don't care anymore. Mm. And when so much of your identity is wrapped up on being that guy, mm. and not only the identity being wrapped up in that guy, your brand is almost considered lesser if you're not practicing what you preach to mm. a, like that degree. So I think it all came to a head at the back end of last year where I, I felt very trapped, not that I felt like I'm just going through the motions. I wanted something new for so many years and I wasn't getting it where I used to work. And then I moved to a new company who it was a step closer and they were they were amazing. I can't thank I'll shout out hit PT James Campion. I can't thank that guy enough. But now being able to get a taste of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But now what makes me money and what pays my bills is still the stuff that I want to start trending away from mm-hmm. and needing it. Like I couldn't move away from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I kind of felt I didn't realize looking back now how much in a bad space I was. Mm-hmm. I tend to kind of, maybe it doesn't come off externally, but internally I try to think quite positive, mm-hmm. which sounds like a good thing. But I always will always put a positive spin on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm doing all right. And I look back now and I'm like, I was not doing okay. Mm. I was really struggling. Mm. And I was only getting to that point, like probably October, November last year, where I was admitting to myself that I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't know where to go. And I tried various, um, I tried various therapists, I tried various other things. And I'm not saying that any of these therapists I saw wouldn't have been amazing if I stuck it out. Mm. They just didn't resonate with me. It all felt very airy-fairy, tap your vagus nerve 15 times and things like this. And I'm like, I'm not saying that doesn't help. But I think when I got on chatting to, to Kieran and to yourself, there was a path. There was a journey. Mm-hmm. It was like, Right, we may go through some of this stuff in the early stages, but there's a clear path into the things. At the time, I wasn't looking at this like I needed some deep-rooted work in looking at my childhood. It was, I procrastinate too much. Mm-hmm. I need some direction. I don't feel confident with business strategy. So when I was kind of like with no direction going into this deep work, I'm like, well, what am I doing? Mm. And at least I knew I could trust the process with you guys that, that okay, there's something's coming here. Mm. I've got a huge tangent there but <laughs> yeah no that's great we've got loads to, to unpack there and I make you absolutely right in what you say about therapy therapy is generally quite organic and open-ended it's well what do you want to work on today mm. which serves a purpose to a degree but what we do at TMP as mental performance coaches is this is the direction we need to go in order to push the needle as much as possible and in the earliest stages of the program foundations it is very much therapeutically focused it's when we're looking through that therapy lens identifying what parts of the past generally are contributing towards the limiting factors that we experience in the present right so um the earlier part for, for you actually speaks to what you were speaking about a moment ago in isolation right there was some isol- feelings of isolation not in terms of the physical environment that's probably contributing but um, I remember you saying that you always felt like you were second best. That was the theme that you could isolate throughout your life, right? So that's the kind of stuff that we were working on in the earlier part of the program, which makes the small incremental 
actionable changes that we implement later on in mastery and peak so beneficial because it's such a cliche thing to say but there's a reason it's called foundations you can't build a solid structure on top of a weak foundation so doing that deeper work identifying what limiting beliefs are challenging emotions resolving that putting a solid foundation and it allows us to have the most um highest chance of success moving forward i also think you, you mentioned like a lot of therapies what do you want to work on today? And I think that can be very, very valuable. But I almost think you earn the right to ask that question. We've had sessions where you've gone, something has been there, and you're like, what do you want to work on today? Mm-hmm. And we've gone on a tangent. Mm-hmm. But as I said a second ago, when I signed up, I had trouble admitting to myself that I was even struggling. Mm-hmm. Let, a no, let alone knowing exactly what I needed to work on. Mm-hmm. I felt overwhelmed. I felt burnt out. I felt stuck. I felt trapped. Where do I start? Mm-hmm. I almost needed somebody to kind of go, right, this is where you start, son. Mm-hmm. And later when I'm maybe more self-aware and I'm noticing patterns, then I can go, hey, Dan, I'm, I've been struggling with this this week. Can we work on this? Yeah. But when you're there on day one, I was like, well, everything. <laughs> I don't know where to go with it. Um, and I think that, that, that was something that was very sort of refreshing in that process. But I think it's also worth going back to that point of feeling second best and you know, for anybody that's thinking of joining TMP, you know, like, you know, I know this is just a chat, but we're trying here to promote the work that you got, amazing work that you guys do. It's, it's one of those things where, like, I always felt we had a lot of stuff we're working on the early stage of not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. And the thing with going back to the environment in Hong Kong, and again, no, throwing no shade that these guys, these still guys are some of my best mates, but I, 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 I went through a, appear where I was feeling like lost because I was feeling in the most social country in the world, but also very isolated. Because when I left my previous company, the friends that I met there weren't really reaching out to me anymore. Mm. And I didn't understand why. Um, And like, I still don't. Like, you know, a couple of those guys on Ibiza now, I can fly over there. But again, it doesn't matter anymore i don't need to know why but at the time i took that very personally like what is it about me and that was something i i i didn't realize and again going back into the foundations i didn't realize how much of a i knew it was something that had happened time and time and time again but i didn't know what was the path to it what was the route to it and the interesting thing is i think going through it is like i still don't know why certain friends have forgotten about me, why I've become the second best person. But I think what I realized is that I don't need to find an answer to it. Mm. Whereas before, it's like, I need to find the thing, the missing piece of the puzzle that mm. allows you to make long-lasting connections, as opposed to thinking some friends are, serve a certain purpose in your life. Mm-hmm. And not every friend is meant to be this lifelong friend that's going to be best man at your wedding. Mm-hmm. Some people are just for nights out in Hong Kong for two years Mm. and that was their purpose in life Mm -hmm. I almost sometimes focus so much my energy on the friends that were not giving me the not satisfaction is not the right word but not giving me that attention that I craved Mm. and actually completely forgetting that I had some of the best friends in my life Mm -hmm. that you take for granted because they are there but that is the thing direct thing you feel like you're missing in life and you're not thinking about it. Mm. And it's a realization since, like just getting married, 
know, we, we spoke a, a little while ago about a lot of people dropping out from my side of the wedding, which was very challenging and still hurts. Mm. But I've just had this amazing day with 60, 65 of our closest friends and family, some of which have traveled from Hong Kong, Australia, some people, some of which not only have traveled from Hong Kong, but have South African visas, which is, if any South Africans are watching this, you know you can't travel anywhere. So the, the lengths that they've gone to, mm. to come and celebrate our day, I was like, it's almost insulting to them that I wasn't paying enough attention to those people mm. and focusing on people that didn't actually mean that much in either direction. Mm. Yeah. Two points there. First one is, the negativity bias will naturally pay more attention to the things that have a higher survival impact. And that um, situation that you described there around friends dropping out from events perhaps, or not making as much of an effort as you are with them, that has a higher survival value. So naturally we're paying more attention to that. But but on, on that, just to kick you off, because I think this is an interesting question for you. On the whole, I understand the negativity bias is more of a survival instinct. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I can understand the needing, like you want community, so people that are, don't want to be part of your community, you'll clutch onto that. But we started this about talking about the benefits of making new networks and making new connections. Mm -hmm. So why is it the brain doesn't won't necessarily latch onto that in the same way as someone that like you think it'd be a more survival instinct to cling to something new that could potentially enhance your status, your position, your survival. Mm rather than cling to somebody that is dragging down your survival rate. Mm. So where's, why do we always focus on negativity even when the positive is more, potentially more lucrative in terms of survival? I don't think it's an either or, black or mm. white. I think that it's probably, this is my opinion here, based on the amount of emotional processing that we've done. So if we go through our entire life and we've consistently encountered situations where we have been let down, where people aren't making an effort towards us, um, where we're reaching out to them to try and form a connection and we're not getting a reciprocal amount of engagement back from them, then every single one of those events is being stored in our unconscious mind. And the rejection and pain and shame and whatever kind of other emotions are being formed as a result of that are all being stored as reference material. And if we don't process that, that's all that we've got for a reference mm. so we'll be looking for reasons to validate that as being true in your case having now done a lot of emotional processing work on this kind of stuff and allowed that emotion to move through you rather than it just being packaged well there's less reference material there so you'll naturally be able to focus more on the positive because you've got less negative to reference it against does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense yeah so that's what i'd say but i really resonate with what you're saying here because I'm adopted, like I've shared with you previously. And for years, I had this loop that was spinning inside of my mind saying, I am only going to be able to process this when I meet my birth parents. That is the only way I'm ever going to be able to let this go. And I had a really profound therapy session one time where I said that to my therapist and he said, well, what are you gonna do if you see them and they don't share the same love for you as you share for them? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you for saying that, but you're right. Oh, question, though, it's brutal. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what good therapists yeah. and coaches do, right? We're yeah. in the process of holding up mirrors. Yeah. And sometimes we need to have those difficult, inconvenient truths. And I was like, you're right. And in that second, it just dropped. And that was no longer a wound. Mm. And I remember, this might not have been as profound for you, but I remember saying something similar to you. And you're saying, I just don't understand why they keep dropping out and why they're not making the same effort. 
I said, well, what if you never do understand? Mm. And that's, you've arrived at that place now saying, well, I'm probably never going to know. And that's okay. Yeah. That's that loop which is now closed. It's no longer, oh, I just need to know what's going to happen here. Quite a similarity there. You think? Did you ever, did you ever meet your birth parents? No. Never? No. No, Is the desire still there? At some level, but more from a place of curiosity than need. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Whereas it was need. It was, I have to do this. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of turmoil going backwards and forwards, you know, thinking I'm, I'm never going to be a whole aligned person until I do it now. But I look at the data. If I zoom out and I look at my life, like I wouldn't be sat here having incredible conversations with people like you. Um, I wouldn't be working for TMP. I wouldn't have my own business. I wouldn't have the great, beautiful girlfriend that I've got. All of this has been made possible as a result of me being adopted. Looking at that data, I'm grateful. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm living a life filled with purpose. I'm changing mm. lives. I'm growing constantly. These are all things that are only possible as a result of the life which I've had with my adopted parents. Mm. So what am I searching for? There's nothing for me to find. I've got everything that I need. I I always think, going going back into my experience as well, could you imagine how difficult life would be if you created long-lasting forever bonds with every single person that you met it'd be exhausting that'd be a lot of people to catch up with right <laughs> like especially if you move to different countries like i have it's just it's uh it, it's 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 just not possible i, I sometimes mm. i sometimes find it difficult to to text my parents enough let alone <laughs> people yeah. 13 hours across the world mm-hmm. um but like in, and it's it's thing like i i i thought i'd feel much more um not so much sad but I thought I thought I find it harder saying goodbye to my friends after the wedding, who had gone back to Hong Kong, mm. because I'm not going back to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ellie found that, and I, I've met some of the closest friends. I hopefully will be lifelong friends, but I found it much easier. And I I, I maybe it's because there isn't that need for I need this connection to work out anymore. Mm. It's like if it does, great. If it doesn't. It served the purpose it served. Mm-hmm. And I'll be grateful for what they've done for me. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like you've arrived at a place of self-acceptance. Well, closer to it. Closer to it. Closer to it. Like, yeah. I, I think there, there, are always, there are always things. Um, and again, but that's okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's understanding that I remember, I think it was on I was either our penultimate call where you threw in the branding out there and that was total mental performance. Mm. And I can't even remember what I was talking to you about, but there was something where I was okay with like, there were stresses in my life, mm-hmm. but it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. That is to be accepted. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, like, so I think complete self-acceptance is a bit of a, it's a, bit of a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Like if, if someone hasn't got anything to work on, I think that'd be worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm certainly more willing to tackle these things head on than I was. Mm. And things, things still, things still scare me. Starting a business, like I say, like the last saying to you, whilst we're coming up into this room, like frustrations of trying to start a business and the frustration of needing to make some money soon, and um, you know, doing that without a Wi-Fi connection until Wednesday and in a new place is 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 is, is still there. But it's like you'll make things work. And I won't even remember this frustration in a in a, in a week's time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think what you're referring to there is um, total mental performance isn't the absence of challenging emotions and feelings. It's feeling those difficult feelings and moving with it anyway. Mm. And that's what you're now doing. It's being at peace with not being at peace. 
Yeah. 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 So just embarking on a journey of self-employment now then. So you've moved away from employment. Mm -hmm. That comes with some anxiety perhaps and a bit of stress, uh, kind of building your own kingdom. But it also comes with opportunity and freedom and arguably liberation. What does that feel like? Exciting. Mm. I, th I think it's something that I, even before I actually knew for certain I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. it was something that was in my brain for a while. Mm. I wouldn't go as far to say I was entrepreneurial. Mm. You know, when you, when you, when you, people like on podcasts, you say that they're entrepreneurial, it's people like sold sweets to their mates and have always had money because they've built businesses since they're 15. I've struggled with money. I've never understood money. I've mm. hit overdraft limits throughout my, you know, so much of my twenties. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand money. Um, but I've always in a way wanted to build something bigger than myself, mm. which is very hard to do when you're employed. And I've always quite enjoyed sometimes when my back's against the wall mm. and make and needing to make money, as long as I had the mental space and freedom with which to try things. And this is sometimes where I found the stress and I was I was like banging my head against the wall trying to do it around a one-to-one -one PT schedule because it's like I've got what I want in trying to back against the wall and trying some ideas, but I don't have the mental freedom or time to actually action these ideas how I'd like. So it just seems chaotic. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, 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 it's quite exciting. Like some of the stuff that, you know, I'm building now with, for, for people who are watching this and don't know who I am, I, I, I run, uh, what was a 16 week mentorship, which will now be a year long mentorship for coaches in order to get better results with their clients. Um, based off the need that I saw is that we have, we have two kinds of things in the industry. We have people who are running business mentorships, which are a dime a dozen, and that's not a knock on them because I know some incredible business mentors. But people are now going off their PC qualification, mm. jumping into a business mentorship and learning Canva and video editing skills and DM scripts before they've actually learned how to create a product. And you'd never see this in any other industry. You never see a plumber know how to design their marketing before they fix the sink. But you see it in the fitness industry all the time. And then you have, you see these businessmanship, we have people making 10, 15, 20 grand months and you get people are struggling to get past two. The difference is they haven't got a product. Um, and then you see the other camp with, with this education side of things where so much of the fitness education space is based around athletes or their version of beginners are beginners. And I found that many people are leaving things with more questions than answers. Mm. So... Me, you know, having worked with personal trainers, getting average people results and building a reputation of getting people that, you know, were by all accounts more difficult with mm -hmm. more, uh, you know, functional health issues, postural issues, things like this and getting results with these people and all sorts of walks of life. I thought I had a place that could offer that. Mm. And um, I, I generally think I'm in a place and I wouldn't have said this a year ago, I would have had too much, we can delve into this, I had too much imposter syndrome to do it. But I generally think I've now put myself in a position that is different to what else is out there in my space, mm. which is very, very exciting. Mm. And some of the things that are coming out of that, as long as done well, and as long as I can execute them, um, could make massive change in the fitness industry for coaches getting better results. Yeah, I love that. Real gap in the market there. And imposter syndrome is a big part of your working life, right? Mm. Yeah. I, again, I you will be able to nail this much more than me. But I've, I mean, I've, I've struggled with imposter syndrome and some ways still do all of my career. Mm -hmm. 
there's always I've always had that thing of feeling like there was something missing or feeling like again maybe not good enough maybe it's all coming into the same thing that we've spoken about mm. but there was um, two big moments that I found that were really really interesting for me one was more recent one was I, I held off going into the education space despite doing it in private in the shadows for many many years because I was like well I've got to compete with these amazing people like Casper Hansen Jordan Shallow um, you know, Nick Daniel, Michael Goulton, all these incredible, credible, credible brains in the industry. And then I was having a chat with Michael Goulton and he was talking about, you know, give me, you know when, when you move back to the UK, I'll give you some advice on setting up cameras. I meant, these guys aren't competitors. I have, I have done so many courses. I've worked with all of these mentors in the same way that people have worked with them doesn't mean they won't work with me. Mm. And these people could actually help me get to where I want to be. So why not throw my hat in the ring? The other moment I think was really, really big for me, and this is the reason why I think imposter syndrome in a way became a big part of my, my marketing. There was, a, I had a, but just before I moved to Hong Kong, I was at my gym in Shoreditch in London, and we're doing an open Q&A with the senior members of the team before I left. And someone asked one of the juniors, um, a guy called Ryan, I'll shout out to Ryan, when was the moment where it clicked where you felt you can get a result with everybody? And I was the last person to answer. So someone was like, oh, this result did it for me. When this happened, did it for me. And I was like, I don't think it has. Mm. And I've been in that there the longest. I've probably had the most results at the, at the group, you know. Um, I'm not saying I was the best trainer, the lot of them. But, I, you know, I, I was there for longer, you know. And I was like, I don't think it has. And it hit me in that moment. I'm like, well, while imposter syndrome can go too far and be crippling, if I had none of it, mm. I wouldn't have spent the time and the money to invest in my skills, upskill myself, learn from amazing mentors, get out and network with people, potentially move to Hong Kong. All these things were fueled in a way by a little bit of, of an exploration of trying to find the missing piece. So we completely get rid of imposter syndrome. Do people lose their drive to push forward? Mm. And so I think a lot of what I do now is trying to help coaches like, right, if you got if you're overthinking this and you're critical with this, I'm gonna give you everything that you need. I'm I'm a big rugby fan. And Clive Woodward, the England rugby coach who won the Rugby World Cup with England in 2003, always had the firm belief. I give my players everything they need, five star hotels, best physios, best strength coaches, best food, best everything. They have no excuse but to execute on the game. Mm. And what I do is I give the guys the templates the training program templates, the spreadsheets, the education of the working knowledge, roundtables, one-to-one mentoring, a support network. And my job is as much about, I don't consider myself someone that teaches anything. I consider myself someone that facilitates learning. Mm. If I can create the creative spark that makes you go and learn something on your own, that's where real things are made. Because how much can I teach in an hour? Mm -hmm. But if in that hour you go, oh, I want to learn more about that, and you spend three, four more hours of your own time, that's where something changes. If you book a one-to-one -one call with me, which is what I offer that no other mentor does offer, if you book a one-to-one -one call with me, it is just as valuable if I say something that changes your business as it is if you tell me what you're doing and I go, that's exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And actually knowing, because there's always a million ways someone could lose fat or you can get a result with a client. So how do you know your way is the right way? Mm. Well, do you have the data points to back up your viewpoint? Do you, does your client know the expectation of what they need to achieve? And like, is it working? So if I can help coaches know like what are the metrics to track, 
What are the things to know if someone's going in the right direction? At least when you get to a client check-in, you're not going, what on earth is happening? Mm. Um, what am I doing? Are they and just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks. It's more, right, I've got a systematic process. They need to get here. In order to that, they need to do this and get here this week. Have they done that? Yes, no. Okay, why? Mm. And if they can do that and then get some reinforcement from me or my community, that's where real confidence is bought. It's not like total mental performance. It's not in the absence of coaching struggles. It's sometimes knowing those, those struggles are okay. And it's sometimes knowing, okay, at least I have metrics to know the path out of the struggle, mm. which is what I feel a lot of coaches don't have. Mm. And in the same way, what business mentors do for people's business. They're putting Instagram posts out and they occasionally comment on someone's post and they're just hoping clients come to them. Mm. There is no metrics to track. But no one does that from a coaching perspective. Mm. And I've learned from some great, great mentors. And being seven years at UP, one of the things they very much teach you is data tracking. And that will be, for, you know, for the highs and lows of that experience of working with them, that is something that is inherently valuable that I think that they teach their coaches very well that I think a lot of coaches lose out on. They're, they're wanting, what's the, what's the training plan? Mm. What's the meal plan? Well, there's lots. But how do you know which one's for that person? Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope to teach people. Mm. Mm. that's a really cool product service and just going back to imposter syndrome for a minute mm. imposter syndrome isn't a bad thing imposter mm. syndrome is something that we need because it's a growing pain it's a sign that we're moving in a new direction yeah. and learning how to relate to it rather than from it is really important because if we're feeling like that imposter I'm a fraud I don't deserve this how have I ended up here etc which is what I felt like when I was in sales I'd land a massive deal and think, how have I done this? I don't deserve this. But reframing that as it's just new territory for me, and this is a good thing. It's self-doubt. Imposter syndrome and self-doubt are very similar. It's, I haven't done this before. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I'll just push through it and try. <laughs> See if you can do it. Because if you push through it, then the bar is set even higher from the next point, and you're going to feel like an imposter again. Every time I speak in front of a crowd of people which gets bigger, I feel that. I feel, mm. have I got... Have I got value to provide to these people? And every single time I get people come up to me after and go, that thing which you said there, that, that's been transformational for me. Great, bar's now there. And it will come back again and again and again. And that's how imposter syndrome works. It's just constantly pushing the level. Mm. It's always going to be there at some some level. The, the way I've always like looked at it is, 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 in your eyes, is the reframe the important thing here? Because there is a difference between imposter syndrome and imposter adaptation where no matter how much evidence you get, like no matter how many big deals you land, mm. if you're still feeling, despite an overwhelming amount of evidence that you're not good at this, mm. that's where it becomes crippling. Mm. So again, in my, in my maybe more modest opinion, the, the reframing imposter syndrome will get you, get you so far, but it's like, well, how do you quantify your evidence? Mm. like if if you did a talk and you get a clap and then you get the next talk and you get a clap so well, I didn't deserve that information but if you then got sent a feedback form mm. to every single person that attended one of your talks and they told you why they liked your talk that may be the thing that I, in my opinion would get you out of that would you agree with that when working with people with imposter syndrome? That they, it's almost like they're getting positive feedback, but they have nothing to say. Well, what is it that's caused this positive feedback? I can't replicate this. Mm. I think that's what I felt with coaching. I was getting results for people, but I was like, well, I don't know why I got that result. Mm. 
So how on earth do I replicate it? If I can't feel, if I can't confidently say I can repeat this, how on earth can I say I'm good enough for this? Mm. Whereas if I can go, right, I did X, Y, and Z, and this is exactly what I'm going to do with my next person, you build a system. Mm. And I think I, I, for years, I remember, you know, working in places where I see people that were maybe not as educated, not as skilled, not as put the time and effort and money into their education as I did, but were much better at producing results than me for a long period of time. And the difference I found is one had a system. Mm-hmm. Albeit it, it had holes, but it was like, this is what I do. I'm going to repeat it every single time and I'm going to refine it. Mm. Do you feel that's what people are lacking? Mm, to a degree, yeah. But if there's the eight-figure entrepreneur who is still feeling depressed, like they're not good enough, and they're in a debilitating state of stress and anxiety, and they're feeling like an imposter, then that's a sign that there's some deeper emotional work that needs to be done. Mm. There's extrinsic evidence and intrinsic evidence, extrinsic being the feedback forms that you described there. If on paper, 500 people have told you that you delivered a great presentation, but you still feel like shit inside, that's not... That's not that on the outside. That's the problem. That's something within you. And it's probably not you who feels like the imposter. It's probably the you from childhood who feels like the imposter. Mm. There's something that's happened in the past there. For example, when I was really young, I um, was about seven years old at school nativity play. And I felt so anxious leading up to that play that when it was my turn to stand up and deliver my lines in front of the audience, I froze. And that then served as a reference point in front of any situation where I was public speaking, whether it was online or in person. Whenever I was in um, a Microsoft Teams meeting with my team when I was in software sales, we'd have to do a weekly roundup and give an overview of what we'd done that week. And if I was the last person to give my section, I'd feel overwhelming anxiety. and I had no idea what it was for, but after doing the deeper emotional work, it was because of that event. So it wasn't me who felt like an imposter. It was me when I was seven years old. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So the extrinsic evidence will get you so far and reframing is great, but you will get to a point eventually whereby um, there's some deeper emotional work that needs to be done. But Simon, I've got something for you because we have arrived towards the end of our um, working relationship for now. Not to say that we won't work together at some point again in the future. Very much intend on it. Yeah. So you've graduated and that means you've got a TMP cap. <laughs> I'm outside. I needed some merch. Yeah. I managed to Let's... get a supercharged t-shirt from Ollie and now I've got a TMP cap. I now feel very, very much. I'm not even, I'm not even a hat person, but I'm going to wear this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a massive compliment. I yeah. think overheating hats. Yeah, no, congratulations, mate. That's, that's well earned. So the final question that I would ask in these conversations is, in your words, mm. what is total one's performance? I think it's, I think it's what we said it was earlier on. It is not the absence of stresses. It's being resilient enough to be able to know they're okay. That's okay. That's expected, and have the mental space to handle them. Like in the last six weeks, I have moved halfway back halfway across the world. Moved back in with my mum and dad, started a business, planned and had a wedding, and moved to Guildford. All in that space of about four or five weeks. I've also gone to three comedy gigs. I've also been catching up with friends and family. 
this could have been a very overwhelming time. And I've kind of taken it in my stride. Partly because my wife did most of the wedding planning. Shout out to her for that. But it's like, well, I know this is going to be stressful. It is okay that it's stressful. I've just got to power through it. In the same way now embarking on other things in my business. It is exciting more than scary because it's like, cool, I don't know how to do this. But now I've freed up time to learn how to do this. Mm. And if I don't, that's okay. I can ask for help. Mm. That is something that I, I've been so caught up in my own head this time last year that I just would have felt very, very, very overwhelmed and very, very stuck, mm. which I don't get as often. And if I do get that feeling, that's okay too. Sometimes it's just the need for a break. And that is just being self-aware enough. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but it is being self-aware. Oh, perfect. And finally, where can people find you on socials? Uh, Instagram's the easiest one, um, at Kingsley on Instagram. Uh, and YouTube, because I run my own podcast, which recently you have been on as well. So definitely check that out. Want, people want to hear more about your story uh, and they're used to you being the host. Um, it's Simon Kingsley Dutton on YouTube and the Self Made Podcast on whatever your favorite podcast provider on. Uh, and we tend to get people, it's either me and my um, guest host, uh, Rob, talking about things in the fitness industry, sometimes things off topic, including aliens and men's rights, but it's normally fitness related stuff. Um, and then some amazing guests of all the people I talked about the product that I've made. It's, it's, it's never a plug about me. This is, I, I have, I am here now because of the amazing mentors and people that has helped me along the way, including yourself and TMP, including Kasim and George Shallow, Nick Daniel, Pat Davidson, all these people have been very fortunate enough to work with some amazing people. And I've been very fortunate for them to come on my show. So if you're, if you're a fitness nerd and you want to hear fitness stuff, Mainly, those are the places probably to find me. Amazing. Simon, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, man. Worth, worth the trip up. Oh, my pleasure. So that's us for today, team. I want to say a huge thank you for spending this portion of your life listening to us. A couple of things before you disappear. If you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find all of our daily content on mindset and hitting peak performance at Total Mental Performance or our website, www.totalmentalperformance.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You'll find us on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts, and all the other various different platforms. Big love. Thank you ever so much. And we're looking forward to speaking with you soon.